Heavenly Father, thank you for your love, and we thank you that you love Dory, and we just pray that you bring healing in her body, that she would be made well, and she would know your presence and your love right now, wherever she is, whether she's in hospital or whether she's managed to escape, Lord, I just pray you would bless her. And Lord, we thank you for Proverbs, we thank you for the wisdom contained in this book, and Lord, I'm, I'm going to need your help this morning as we talk about wisdom and money. Lord, I pray that you would direct us to know what is true and what is right, that your spirit would guide us and strengthen us in our inner beings, and we would have a right attitude to wealth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, my sermon this morning is on wisdom and money, and if you're visiting, I promise we don't preach about money every week. We've just chosen a bad week to visit. <laughs> Proverbs says an awful lot about money, because the way you think about money, and how you earn it, and what you do with it, says a lot about your heart and your relationship with God. Now, I will not say everything there is to say about money this morning. I won't even say everything that Proverbs has to say about money. I'm simply going to read to you Proverbs 11, which is a passage, a chapter that touches on this subject. And we're going to speak from the passage. And if you've got questions, and that's great, because later on in the year, Jeff is going to do a couple of sermons on finance where he's going to say everything there is to say and cover all your questions. But I'm just preaching on Proverbs 11, where we're going to think about wisdom and money. And I've entitled my sermon this morning, Righteousness is Better Than Riches. Righteousness is Better Than Riches. Let's read Proverbs 11, and the words should appear on the screen behind me, maybe a bit skewed with, but... Um, no? Oh, there we go. Okay. Proverbs 11. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. But righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and the wicked walks into it instead. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbour, but by knowledge the righteous are delivered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. But by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Whoever belittles his neighbour lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. But he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counsellors, there is safety. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm. But he who hates striking hands and pledge is secure. A gracious woman gets honour and a violent man gets riches. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. Those of crooked heart are, abom are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. 
Be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, the expectation of the wicked in wrath. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favour, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be the servant of the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner. Now, as you can imagine, I cannot comment on every single proverb in this chapter, but rather I want to pull on threads that address our topic of wisdom and money. And we'll see how actually there are lots of proverbs that come together to give us a wider perspective of wisdom. The nature of a proverb is that it's short and memorable. So one proverb cannot contain all the truth there is to know about a subject. You can't find one proverb and say, this tells me all I need to know about money. And you ought not to read proverbs in isolation, but together with all the other proverbs so that you can gain and meditate on what the word of God says and begin to understand what wisdom truly is. And so I'm going to pull on some threads in this chapter. And thread one is this. Righteousness is better than riches because it delivers you from death. When I read that that chapter, did you hear how often this list of proverbs spoke about righteousness delivering? In verse four, it says righteousness delivers from death. In verse six, The righteous of the upright delivers them. In verse 8, the righteous is delivered from trouble. Verse 9, by knowledge the righteous are delivered. Verse 21, the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. So actually, before this chapter is about money, this, this chapter is actually about how righteousness delivers. Many other verses in this passage speak about how righteousness keeps you on the straight path. How it will go well with the righteous. How being righteous ensures you get a sure reward. And it speaks of righteous people flourishing throughout Proverbs 11. Now what's interesting about those verses is there is obviously and clearly an eternal perspective in Proverbs chapter 11. Verse 4 is obvious, isn't it? Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. In other words, what the writer of Proverbs, what Solomon is writing about, is saying there is a day of judgment coming. There is a day of wrath where judgment will be poured out on the, on the world. And you'll either in that day be saved into eternal life because of faith in Jesus, or you will suffer and be thrown into hell. And on that day, money and riches will be of no value. When Christ returns, the richest people on earth will not get out their wallets and say, please spare me, I'll pay you all that I've got. That won't work in that day. So money will have no value on that day of wrath. In verse 4 it says, but righteousness delivers from death. Which of course doesn't mean that righteous people will go on living forever and ever in, in this age. But rather that after death, 
there is a resurrection. And so righteousness delivers people into eternal life with God. That's what the verse means. Riches, you cannot pay your way into eternal life, but righteousness delivers you from death. Righteousness delivers you into eternal life. And in verse 30, it says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Now, if you're a good biblical theologian, a big biblical scholar, you hear those words tree of life and you immediately think about the Garden of Eden. In the midst of the Garden of Eden was the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And after Adam and Eve had sinned and disobeyed God, they were cast out of the garden in order that they wouldn't eat from the tree of life and live forever. God didn't want eternal life with sin and, and, and misery and death. He, he, well, obviously it wouldn't be death, it would be eternal life. But he didn't want this eternal life full of sin. He wanted people who are righteous to enter into eternal life. And so do you see that? Verse 30 is speaking about eternity. When we enter into the new heavens and the new earth and we can eat from the tree of life. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. So this chapter in Proverbs, even though it's in the Old Testament, has a very clear eternal perspective. Wisdom has an eternal perspective on life. Wisdom prioritises based on the eternal life which is offered to all who believe in Christ Jesus. So if you want to be wise, brothers and sisters, I'm not talking about money specifically right now, but if you want to be wise, you will think eternally. Christ has rescued me. He's given me eternal life. And therefore, this is how I prioritise. It's, it's based on what's going to happen in eternity. That's the most important thing. And so this chapter in Proverbs prioritises righteousness over riches. Because righteousness has an eternal reward, but riches do not. So do you have an eternal perspective on all of your life? Because that is a source of wisdom to you. And I want to warn you against sermons from the book of Proverbs which promise earthly reward in this life without appreciation for eternity. Because what they're doing when people preach in that way is they're taking one proverb in isolation, they're ignoring the eternal perspective which goes throughout Proverbs, and they're saying, let's apply this as a promise for now. And that's actually not how Proverbs ought to be read. I want to warn you against sermons on money that prioritise accumulating wealth here on earth, being rich in this life. Because I don't think that's what Proverbs teaches. I don't think that's what the Bible prioritises. And I particularly want to warn you against ministries that promote health and wealth and prosperity in this life over the eternal reward of knowing Jesus. That's what eternal life is, according to Jesus. It's knowing God. And there are ministries out there that put up front and centre, be faithful and God will make you prosper and grant you wealth and, and health and all these things. And I think those are ministries to avoid because they're prioritising accumulation in this life over and above the true and far more glorious reward of knowing God forever. The prosperity gospel is a false gospel. It's not promoting Jesus as the good news. It's promoting all the blessings that you can receive kind of through God, through Jesus, as the good news. That's not the good news of Christianity. Knowing God is the good news of Christianity. These ministries do not bear the mark of wisdom. And this will become even clearer as we continue through this passage. 
So, before we even dig into the issue of money, the question we really ought to be asking from Proverbs 11 is, how do I get this righteousness? Where do I get righteousness from? Righteousness is so much better than riches. I don't even care about money for a moment, Duncan. Just tell me where I get righteousness from. That's the real thing in this passage. Uh, and, if, and if that's the question you have when I read it, then well done, because you're understanding what this chapter is all about. It's how wonderful righteousness is. So where do we get righteousness from? Well, let's answer that question by going to Romans chapter 3, verses 22 to 24 which says this, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are made righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Righteousness is received by grace. It is a gift from God given to all who believe in Christ's life, death, and resurrection from the dead. So Proverbs 11 is about grace through faith in Jesus Christ, because it's pushing you to eagerly desire righteousness, which only comes from Jesus. For all of us have sinned, all of us have done things wrong, there's no distinction between us, none of us are righteous in and of our own lives, but righteousness can be received as a gift from, from grace through faith in Jesus. And so Proverbs 11 points us to the preciousness of righteousness and therefore the preciousness of Jesus and what he has done for us. If you are not a Christian, you can become the wealthiest person on earth and you will still be poorer than the beggar who has Jesus Christ and therefore has righteousness and eternal life. Therefore, I urge each and every one of you, do not give your life to accumulate riches. Give your life to discover what is true, even into eternity. Give your life to knowing God, the one who gives righteousness by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Give your life to placing faith in Jesus. Way more, way more than you would ever give yourself to accumulating riches. Christian, prioritise with an eternal perspective and therefore realise how much more precious righteousness through Christ is than money or wealth or any possession you could possibly accumulate. Because throughout this chapter, what's interesting is that Solomon contrasts riches and righteousness. He contrasts riches and righteousness. There are other proverbs which speak positively about having wealth considering it a blessing from God and definitely encouraging generosity. So I'm not preaching austerity theology. I'm not saying God wants you to be poor. That's not what I'm preaching. I'm not saying that God wants you to be rich either. There's a healthy balance in 1 Timothy chapter 6, which says this. 1 Timothy 6 verse 8. If we have food and clothing, with these be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. So in the New Testament, we're encouraged to be content with what we have, even if that's just food and clothing. Then later on in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. 
So you see in 1 Timothy chapter 6, there are clearly going to be people who are Christians who need to be content just with clothing and food. Because Paul's writing to them, if that's all you have, be content. And there are other people who are going to be rich. And Paul's, and Paul's saying, charge them to be generous in good works with all that they have. They will be rich and poor within the kingdom of God, within the church. So I'm not preaching that God wants you to be poor. I'm not preaching that God wants you to be rich. But I'm saying that there's certain instructions given to both those kinds of people within the church. And Proverbs 11 tends towards the warning side of things. Proverbs 11 is more about the warning about riches, the danger of riches. It does say some positive things as well, which we'll get to. Verse 28, I think, summarises this warning best. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. You can see the contrast, by the way. Riches on one side, trusting in riches on one side, righteousness on the other side. The contrast. The pro- that proverb encourage us, encourages us to think about leaves on a tree. And some leaves are brown and decaying and falling to the ground. And some leaves are green and vibrant with life. The leaf that's brown and withered and falling is someone who's trusting in their riches, trusting in wealth. But the other leaf is the person who's trusting in Christ for their righteousness and therefore alive, green, well, flourishing in God. And so what I want to do just for a moment is diagnose some hearts in this room. Because if you read that verse and believe it, then you're thinking, I want to be on the righteous side of that equation. I do not want to trust in riches in this life. I don't want to be like the brown withered leaf that falls. I want to be like the righteous one who's green and alive. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about symptoms that that might indicate that you're trusting in riches in this life rather than trusting in Christ. Preaching to myself here as well. Some symptoms that you value riches too highly and you're trusting in them. The first symptom, you're more excited about the blessings that God can give rather than knowing God himself. Particularly wealth and health. You're more excited about the blessings that God can give rather than God himself. And if that's you, if you're always going, oh yes, God can bless me, God can give me wealth, God can give me health, God can answer my prayers, he can give me all these things, he can give me a good job. If you're always focused there, you're always excited there, then are you really excited about knowing God or are you just excited about the things that he can give you? God isn't really your father whom whom you love. He is a means to an end, to get the things that you really love the most in life. I'm not saying we we can't pray for those things, but I'm saying if if your excitement is all there, rather than I know the creator of the world, I know the Father in heaven, I have a relationship with him, he loves me and I love him, and Christ is my saviour, and he, he, he died for me, and I love Christ, I know Jesus. If you're excited then, then great. And then you can pray for these things. But if you're excited here and not there, then who is your God? Is it the riches and the blessings or is God your God? (coughs) Second symptom of trusting in riches is you don't give any money away. Christians ought to give to the church to help the proclamation of the gospel. And Christians ought to give to the poor. 
And every Christian should give regularly, even if it's just a very small donation. I'm not telling you how much to give, but Christians who love God obey the commands and give what they feel in their heart they're cheerful to give. And if you don't give any money away, it kind of implies that you're going, I need every penny that I've got. I can't possibly give away. I need it. And therefore you're trusting in it. You're relying upon it rather than saying, actually, I'm trusting God. And therefore, even though it hurts, I can give this amount away. If you give generously, you're trusting God to look after you. If you don't give anything away, that might be a symptom that you're trusting in money, that you feel you need every penny. A third symptom, you think more about money or what money can buy than Jesus. You spend your time on right move looking at the fancy houses that you could buy if you had more money. <laughs> or you fill your mind with all, what you would do if you won the lottery. That's what, that's what your mind is focused on, rather than all the riches that you have in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Fill your mind with Jesus. And if your mind is full of money, then that's a symptom that you need to repent and a fourth symptom, you compromise time with family and time serving God by working longer hours than you need to and you justify this by saying I'm earning for my family, I need to work these hours, I need to earn more. Do you see, you're, you're constantly making the choice to work really hard, to bring in as much money as possible, you're saying that's the most important thing and the other areas of your life that are important, God and the church and family, you're compromising those in order to work more than you need to. Now, we all need to work, and God encouraged us to work. So many of the Proverbs speak about working hard and diligently to the Lord. So I'm not saying don't work, but there are some people who go, work is the most important thing. I give all my time and energy here, and everything else can just kind of fall by the wayside. And if you're like that kind of person, then you need to maybe confess and say, actually, maybe I'm trusting in what work can bring. I'm trusting in the money that I'm earning from work rather than trusting in God. A fifth and final symptom that you might be trusting in riches rather than in Christ comes from Proverbs 30, verses 8 to 9. If you've never prayed like this, then maybe there's something going on in your heart. This is a prayer of a man called Agur, who was a wise man who wrote some of the Proverbs at the end of the book. And this is his prayer in Proverbs 30, verses 8 to 9. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be. Uh, feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, "Who is the Lord?" Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Do you see? That's an extraordinary prayer to pray, isn't it? He's not praying, "Lord, give me more money." He's saying, keep me from poverty because I don't want, I need to have enough to live. And I don't want to steal because if I steal, that would profane your name, Lord. I'd be doing something wrong and evil. So give me enough, Lord, so I don't have to steal because I don't want to dishonour you. But also he prays, don't give me riches lest I be full and satisfied with the riches and forget about you and say, who is the Lord? I wonder whether you've ever prayed like that. Have you ever prayed, keep me from poverty and keep me from riches? That is a wise prayer. If you want to be wise with money, you would know how dangerous money is in pulling you away from God. Wealth and possessions can pull you away from God. So you would pray this prayer, keep me from poverty, but also, Lord, keep me from having too much, that I would deny my Lord. If every time you pray about money... You're asking for more of it. It's likely you haven't properly understood just how dangerous wealth can be.
Some of us need to repent of a heart problem. We love money too much. We trust in riches more than we trust in Christ. We love money more than riches. We love money more than Christ. Repent and pray in your heart now and ask for forgiveness. Now, riches is in its right place, hopefully. You've valued righteousness more than you valued riches. Let me just pull on some other threads that are in this passage. Thread two is earn money with integrity. Earn money with integrity. Verse one says, and a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. In other words, God hates it when people use dishonesty to earn extra money. There are people who are selling grain and they've got a weight that says one kilogram on it, but it actually only weighs 800 grams. And so when people come and buy a kilogram of grain from them, they put the weight on and they load it up and they go, there you go, there's one kilogram of grain. But actually they're only giving 800 grams of grain away. So they're using a dishonest scale in order to make more money and keep some of the grain so they can sell more. Do you see? That's what's happening in verse one. And that, a false balance to God is an abomination. He hates the dishonesty going on in that moment. But he loves a just weight. His delight is in a just way. Someone who earns money in a just way, in a righteous way. Of course, this makes sense. If righteousness is better than riches, of course, it makes sense that God wants us to live in a good way, in a right way, including the way we work. In verse 3, integrity is praised. But crookedness or treachery, which means betrayal of trust, it says that it destroys. So the treacherous are criticised in verse 3. In verse 6, the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. They lust for more money, so they betray trust in some way. And they become captive to their love of money, their lust for more. Do you see? So they're not trustworthy because they so lust after more than what they already have that they act treacherously. Do you know, I think in every single job, there's a temptation to be dishonest in order to profit. Certainly when I worked in digital marketing, it was so easy to slip into lying about how much work we'd actually done on the project for a client. Or how much time it was going to take for us to do something for a client. We'd say, oh, this is a, this is a tough job. This is going to be hours and hours of work. You're going to have to pay us this amount. And actually, you could just click a button and the computer would do it for you. We were encouraged to have those conversations with our clients. There was a temptation to be dishonest with the people we were working for in order to be more profitable. You will know the temptations in your own work. What are the temptations to be dishonest? Maybe it's just kind of covering your own back and lying about the things that you've done in order that you don't look bad in the workplace. There are temptations all the time to be dishonest in work. And this, this chapter in Proverbs says time and time again, God hates dishonesty, especially for monetary gain. As a Christian, if you work dishonestly, you're profaning God's name. In verse 16, it also says violent men can get riches. So it's not just dishonesty that can help you gain wealth, in some sense, violence. And you can think about the ways in which you might spend money or earn money in a way that does harm to other people. That would be violent towards others, wouldn't it, if you earned money in a way that hurt others? Maybe there are some of us here who need to confess sin in the way we've earned money. Confess dishonesty in our jobs. Treachery. We need to receive forgiveness from Jesus Christ and walk in newness of life by the Holy Spirit. Perhaps there's some, some people in here who might need to change jobs, actually, and say, actually, that job is 
is doing violence to others, and I need to stop doing it, move and earn money in a different way. Or maybe you need to change the way you do your job in order to do it in an honest way, in a good way. And I want to bring you encouragement to you that we can change the way we do our jobs. I, I worked for Mothercare for, it uh, must have been a year and a half, and to be honest, I really struggled when I worked for Mothercare. So I was in the digital marketing department. I can see people laughing because I'm not the natural person you'd expect to be working for Mothercare. And my team was largely like mums, basically. So I didn't fit in at all. Um, and that made me struggle in the job. I didn't really make friends in the office. And uh, I, I just became really bored with the job. The other thing is I had about a third of a job to do. And uh, it really frustrated me that I wasn't given more work, actually. So I became bored and I became super lazy in the job. And then I think God started to do a work in me and started to talk to me in church and through others about going to Bible college. So then there was even more incentive to be lazy in the job because I knew that I wasn't going to stay there very long. So for, for a season, I was a really poor employee. I'd get away with bare minimum. I wouldn't do everything that I could have done to bless the company. And actually, if you know anything about other it's gone downhill. Well, that's my fault. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't doing my job properly. And then I had a moment of just pure conviction of sin, where I, I realised that if I was going to go to Bible college, what an absolutely disgraceful witness that I would do that job poorly and then walk away and go to Bible college. I was just floored with conviction of sin. And about, I still had a few months left to go. I hadn't given in my notice and I had a three-month notice period, so I still had a long time to work there. I just had this realisation that I was dishonouring God and I was being a really poor witness in the workplace. And so from, I just changed. I just literally changed overnight the way I worked. I went in and said, nine till five, I'm glorifying God with everything that I can do in this job. I'm going to work as hard as I can. I'm going to be the best employee in the office as far as I can be because God's spoken to me about that. And I really believe that you can change in your job. Some people, maybe you've been in a job for a long time and you've done it 75% of your effort I think you can go again and give more and change the way. I think some people leave jobs because they're a bit embarrassed about the way they've projected themselves and they go, I'll just go over here and maybe change. But actually, I want to encourage you, if you feel you need to change the way you do your job, you can change. Do you know, when I left that job, the head of online, who was head of you know, 50 of us all in this office, came and said to me, if it goes wrong, come back. I want you back. And my boss, who had arrived three months as I was leaving, basically, said to the whole office, I was terrified that Ad Duncan, who'd already handed in his notice before I arrived, but he's been absolutely brilliant. And then she listed all the things that I'd done. I worked really hard because I wanted to glorify God. I'd done really badly. I needed conviction of sin. And then God, through the Spirit, helped me work. So you can change if you need to change the way you're doing your job. You can turn over a new leaf. It's possible in the Holy Spirit. And your colleagues will be blessed by it. And more importantly than that, God will be glorified by working in that way. So think about the job you're doing. Are you earning money with integrity? And are you working as you ought to work, honouring God? Thread three then is this. Do not hoard, but be generous. Look at verse 26. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. In other words, there's some people growing grain, having a great harvest, and saying, I'm going to keep that for a couple of months' time when I might not have enough food. So they store their own grain, and there are other people who don't have anything to eat. And they're going, I can't believe that person is putting grain into their barns when I don't have enough. Why aren't they selling it to me? I've got money, I'm willing to pay for it. And so they're cursing them. 
In other words, there's one who hoards, hoards what they have, rather than giving it or selling it to the hungry people who haven't had such a good harvest. And the temptation to store, to provide that safety net, must have been huge for these people, but others are going hungry. A curse on the one who hoards, says this proverb. A blessing on the head of him who sells it. That's another symptom, by the way, that you love money too much. You keep hoarding it and hoarding it and hoarding it and keeping it away. And actually, you could be using it to bless others. Now, look at verse 24. The same theme, not hoarding wealth, but being generous with it. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Now, the first thing I want to say about the verse is that the word for riches in verse 24 is not the same word for riches that's in verse 4. So in verse 4, it means wealth. It's definitely about possessions and wealth in this present age. That's what the Hebrew word means. But in verse 24, the word actually just says increasing. So it doesn't necessarily talk about your wealth increasing in verse 24. It just says the one who gives freely increases. And actually, in verse 25, it talks about having an enriched soul. So what, how I understand verse 24 is that some of the increase is a spiritual increase, a spiritual blessing. You give away and you receive spiritually as your soul is enriched. Sometimes the enrichment you receive when you give away might be financial. I've actually experienced this in my life. I've been generous with money and then realised that I'm richer at the end of the month than I was at the beginning. And I thought, how has this happened? This doesn't make sense economically or mathematically. And so I have received financial blessing from being generous. So I'm not discounting God from doing that. I'm just saying that's not all the verse is talking about. And if you, again, if you take this verse in isolation and take it as a promise and say, give away, earn that, give £100, get £1,000 back, that's not what the verse is teaching. What I think this verse does promise is that if you give freely in multiple ways, God will increase his blessings to you. It might be finance in this world, but it might be eternal reward. It might be a closeness with God. As you give away possessions, you grow closer in relationship to God and you increase in that sense. Or a friendship grows because you've been generous and given away. All the church thrives all the more. You see, you increase because you've been generous, but it can be in all kinds of different ways, not necessarily financial growing in wealth. On the other hand, the one who hoards wealth, clings to it, doesn't give away, he suffers want, says verse 24. And I think this happens at a heart level. As you cling to wealth and you don't give it away, your heart suffers so that you desire more wealth. To keep, you really want to be happy and so you hoard your wealth and you think, I haven't got enough in my bank account, I need more. And so in your heart you suffer want. You keep wanting more, you're never satisfied. And this, this is what people who are rich often say, if they're honest with themselves, is that the wealth that they received didn't satisfy. They always wanted more. And that's what's going on in this verse. You, you heap up your wealth, you hoard it, you don't give freely, and therefore your heart changes and you desire more and more wealth, so you suffer want in your heart. But it can also happen at a reality, wealth, finance level. If you're a Christian and you aren't generous and you love too much, money too much, what's the most loving thing God can do for you in that situation? Well, the answer is take away your money. 
teach you that he alone can satisfy and bring you joy. So I think it's true that some people who hoard wealth and don't give generously, God acts in love and takes away that wealth in order that you come to rely more on him. That's not the only reason that poverty might come in your life. That's not the only reason you might not have as much wealth as you want. But it can be a reason that God is taking away wealth from you. I know some spectacularly generous and faithful Christians who suffer poverty for all kinds of reasons. And there are people in other parts of the world who are persecuted for their faith, who are very poor. And yet some of the most faithful people in Christ that I know. So please don't, again, take this verse in isolation and say faithful people who give generously are rich and people who hoard and don't give are poor. That's not what the verse is saying, but it is, it's saying that when you give, you will increase in lots of different ways. And if you hoard, then your heart will become poorer and you'll desire more and have wants. And it might be that God acts and says, actually, your heart attitude to wealth is wrong. Therefore, I'm taking it away from you in order to teach you that I am the one who gives life. Some of us might need to confess today that we have not given freely, that we have withheld wealth, that we have hoarded and heaped up possessions for ourselves without giving freely. We know that Jesus Christ died for our sins and we are forgiven for that if we trust in him. So come to God and confess and receive forgiveness. So we've drawn on three threads of wisdom concerning money in Proverbs chapter 11. We've learned to be generous and know the blessing of generosity. We've seen that we ought to earn money with integrity. And most of all, we've seen that we need to be wise and see that riches do not prosper us on the day of wrath. Righteousness is far better. And therefore, Christ is more precious than all the money in the world. Seek Christ. Love him. Treasure him. Even pray, lest you be full of my Lord. So pray that you would have neither poverty nor riches in your life because you want to treasure Christ most of all in everything that you do. And that is true wisdom when it comes to money. Treasuring Christ and trusting Christ and living with integrity and living generously and you will be wise in the eyes of Proverbs 11. Let's pray, and I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes. I'm just going to invite you that if there's something that I've said that has convicted you of something in your life, that you realise God needs to do some hard work in you, that you would love Christ, love righteousness more than riches. I'm not going to shut my eyes as well, so I'm not watching, but I just think it might be good for you to kind of raise your hand and say, actually, yeah, Lord, I want to confess sin this morning. Would you just respond in that way? I'm going to lead you guys in prayer. Father, I thank you for the wisdom in Proverbs 11 that righteousness is far better than riches. I pray you would teach that to our hearts so that we might treasure the preciousness of Christ far more than we treasure wealth or possessions. Lord, teach us where we've got it wrong. And help us change by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, do not give us poverty, lest we steal and profane your name. Do not give us riches, lest we are full and say, who is the Lord? And deny that you even exist. Keep us on the straight and narrow path of wisdom concerning money. Where we know that it can be good, that we can use it to be generous to others. But we ultimately know that it will not profit on the day of 
Lord, I pray you would make us people who work with integrity and honesty to glorify you in our workplaces. And I pray that we'd be very generous to those people who need our wealth. I thank you for the, the, the financial blessing that is in this church and on people in this room, Lord God. May we use that to bless and help others, giving it away generously, giving it away freely for your glory. Because we know that there are in, there's increase to come when we do that, whatever form that must take. Lord, give us an eternal perspective to trust in Christ for righteousness day by day, moment by moment. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.